0: Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Good morning, everyone. Oh my gosh, I love tuning in each week and connecting with all of you. It literally allows me to jump out of bed, head over to the microphone, and say hello to all of you. So good morning. I'm so happy we're able to connect today on Breast Cancer Conversations. I'm your host, Laura Carfig, and if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and receive notifications each week when we come out with a new episode. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We also started something new. If you haven't heard of Patreon, go check it out. We have our very own Patreon account, and it is a great way to support the work that we do, so we can continue to offer this content. And for all of you who tune in each week, I am so thrilled that we are able to connect again today. This is a throwback to September, when we were at the Living Beyond Breast Cancer Conference in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And we got to run into one of my favorite doctors, Dr. Monique Gary, who is a breast oncologist surgeon. And her and I have been going back and forth for months. We met up in Boston. We had dinner together and we've been trying to get her on the podcast. And after her presentation, she came over to our exhibit booth. We hugged, embraced and was like, oh my gosh, you're here. We are doing this right here, right now in real time so what transpires is a lovely high energy conversation about breast cancer about how we can take care of ourselves how we deserve to take care of ourselves how we can explore intimacy and relationships and that having these relationships is our right so let's dive right in welcome to the conversation
1: things are busy and it's it's good it's busy for all the right reasons you know i know you can relate (laughs)
0: I know, because I think the last time we saw you, we were up in yes. Boston, yes. We were there for that. The conference. fellows,
1: the College of Surgeons, Yes, yeah. how mm-hmm. is that going? It, everything's fine with that, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm inducted into the College of Surgeons as a fellow, so, yes, nice. thanks. That's like the last sort of final award or achievement that a surgeon can get. Really? Yes, the wow. highest one, yep.
0: Oh. Excellent. Oh, more letters behind the name, you know, that sort of thing. It's what we do, right? Like, you're like kind of. in academia, you're like, just give me mm-hmm. give me yeah, more. more letters.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you want to go back for your MBA? Wait, 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 wait. I know, exactly. <laughs> but it's it's there, you know.
0: Oh, awesome. Oh, My
1: goodness. So, well, How about thank you? Thank you so much
0: for like taking the time for this podcast as well. So, I think since we last spoke, so much has happened with survivingbreastcancer.org. Mm-hmm. We have been growing and growing and growing. Good. And just like any nonprofit, my friends keep warning me about this, where there's like mission creep and everyone has an idea yes. and they yes. want take you in different directions. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of like, kind of accordion effects of like growing and then shrinking, coming sure. back down to what we're trying to really do. You got to stop and so, do your
1: strategic plan yes. and redo your plan and then work your plan and then reconnoiter.
0: Exactly. Yep, Yeah, yes. yep. it's true. But we are like pretty committed right now to like the pillars of like education, resources and community. Okay. And we're creating programs now mainly online and virtual mm-hmm. so that we can impact more people quicker. I love quicker. it, yes. So, So, but of course we want to do like in person, it's really nice to put faces and names together Mm -hmm. and when financial resources allow us to do that, we will.
1: Right, but the global community is getting so much larger and it's really important to have that presence though because you know, we can be everywhere and we can be connected and there can still be this connection with someone who's you know who's in the UK exactly. someone who's in Australia someone who's yes. you know in Alaska a breast cancer survivor who needs support and needs a circle
0: right and this week alone, or not this week this year alone we've had um, some interns volunteering from us from China oh. and India oh my god that's and they've great. been giving us pre- uh, perspective of what it's like to have cancer in some of these other countries yes what is the, the access to the resources what is the standard of care there mm-hmm. and we've had some really great like deep conversations yes. about okay, yes, I have breast cancer, I go through chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, Mm -hmm. but this is where the incongruencies are. And so it's been really eye-opening, actually, to Mm -hmm. be able to be inclusive and also learn from how we're treating breast cancer as a whole globally.
1: Yep, yep.
0: So we've started a podcast. Okay, um, fantastic. Because there's so much to talk about, right? It's true. So I call my podcast Breast Cancer Conversations, where we talk about all things breast cancer. And that can be anywhere from hearing survivor stories, hearing from women all through and men all through different stages, mm-hmm. whether they're zero or stage four, whether they're ER positive or triple negative mm-hmm. or globular, like there's so many options, which yes. is why we just kind of come together on a podcast weekly mm-hmm. and share conversation about breast cancer. Mm. And then the other thing that I really love to do about my job is kind of listening to our community. Okay. They're asking questions and I'm like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find the answers. Got it. Yeah. So we have been so fortunate to be able to partner with some other doctors in the medical field. Yep. And kind of. Debunk some of the myths. right? I was just
1: gonna say, you have—do you have questions today? Are there? Yeah, that's great.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, we talked to a couple of radiologists, mm-hmm. and I was like, really, tell me what happens when we get the call back. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of conversation too about the types of mammography we should be advocating for. Good. So, you know, should I be advocating for um, 3D mammography? Yes. Should I be looking for contrast mm-hmm. or molecular mm-hmm. breast imaging? I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many options yes. that it's overwhelming. So let's just go to the experts, talk to them, that's and have right. them share with our community.
1: That's right. Oh, I love so that. that
0: is what we're up too. I'm wow. so thrilled to have you, Dr. Monique Gary, on the show. Thank I am you. so
1: thrilled to be here. Thank you oh,
0: very much. Wonderful. Well, would you, I will just turn things over to you to let you do your own introduction and let our listeners know a little bit more about your background. And obviously, like we kind of connected online and sure. in person. But it's just a pleasure wow. to have you here.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Dr. Monique Gary. I am a breast surgical oncologist, so a breast cancer surgeon. And I'm the medical director of a cancer program in Sellersville, Pennsylvania called Grandview Health. Uh, mm-hmm. We're recently partnered with Penn Cancer Network, so I think that's new since the last time we yes. spoke. So Grandview okay. and Penn are united in uh, in our mission to bring better cancer care to the Upper Bucks County area and, and beyond. We cover Montgomery County and, you know, for the folks who are local, that means something. Yes. But the service area includes over 400 100,000 families, wow. 400,000 people. That's you a big know? job. It is. It is. And, and there's a lot of cancer in the area. So, you know, you're here in Philadelphia right now, but the entire Philadelphia, greater Philadelphia, Jersey, over to the shore, it's, it's, it's what we call a cancer cluster. Is
2: it? Yes, it is. Okay.
1: Meaning the incidence in Pennsylvania, for example, of thyroid cancer is 11 times higher. Wow. And, and where wow. I practice, one in four family members has a first degree, mother, father, sister, brother, family member with a potentially hereditary cancer. breast, ovarian, uterine, melanoma, pancreatic, prostate, colon cancer, stomach, gastric cancer. And so, you know, one of the things I think it's important to talk about is knowing your risk and talking Mm. about family history. So something we could definitely talk about is, you know, it's secrets and, and, and the power of sharing your story. You know, what makes a great talk great. So I, I gave a talk today. I'm here, We're here at Living Beyond Breast Cancer yes. uh, at, the, uh, at the annual conference that they do for uh, early and, and locally advanced breast cancers. And I gave a talk on sexuality and intimacy in breast cancer. And what makes it real and what makes it powerful is the sharing of the stories. You know, we can present a a full 45 minutes worth of facts and slides and figures, but what people really need to hear is, you know, what my neighbor is saying. And when when someone comes into the office, how do you have that conversation with your doctor that says, you know what, things are good and, and, and life is great, but things could be better. I could be happier. I'm having trouble with intimacy. I'm having pain down there. I'm having vaginal dryness, yes. you know? And so the sharing of stories, I think, is something that's really important. And, and it cannot be understated to your listeners uh, yes. because we're, we're very sort of closed mouth about our diagnosis. If it, it's a thing, it happened, we want to put it aside. Exactly. But it's something that we really need to explore and, 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 and plant it in the in the ground of, of, among all of us who you know it in the in the garden of our lives let's say it that way you know plant that seed so that something beautiful can grow for for lots of different people in your churches and your communities in your homes and your yeah. families and and i think it's really important
0: absolutely and i think you touched on so many great points like family history and knowing your risks and then these topics that, for some reason, we kind of shy away from. Mm -hmm. We don't like to talk about it or we're embarrassed for some unknown reason. So how can we empower our community to say, you know what, this is happening to me and immediately someone's like, oh my gosh, me too. Sure. And we talk a lot about quality of life and how does this intimacy play out in that quality of life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've heard terrible stories of just like relationships falling apart because, not because of the breast cancer, but because of the aftermath of the breast cancer diagnosis. You know, how do we empower the women to feel confident in their bodies and their skin and their new, um, like, breast forms or however they're going Mm -hmm. about it? I was talking to another gentleman and he was like, You were going through chemo and you were so sensitive, I could barely hug you. Yeah. Now, how am I supposed to make love to you because I don't want to hurt you? Right. And so, how can we find these new ways of caressing each other and new ways of just appreciating each other Mm -hmm. in intimate ways? Yeah.
1: It's it's very true. You know, I think that um, the relationship that we have with our bodies before cancer is is a somewhat fragmented and and a secret one also because you know we don't necessarily spend time exploring what we like whether it's from an intimate from a self-pleasure standpoint or even just in terms of, of giving ourselves dedicated time to do the things that make our lives rich how about we start there You know, we go through these obligatory lives of I have to this, I have to work, I have the kids, I have to this, I take the parents, I got to go to the gym. You know, we fill our schedules with everything that's supposed to bring enrichment and and how much of it actually does. You know, and what portion of your day is actually spent on you? And now I'm talking to myself here, but what portion (laughs) of your day is spent doing something that, that makes you feel rich? Yes. You know, and that puts you back in tune with yourself. And so carving out that time, you know, before breast cancer is nearly impossible. And then cancer, breast cancer makes everything stop. And it all comes to a screeching halt. And now your life spins in a different direction around doctor's appointments, around treatment, around therapy, around all these things. Mm -hmm. And then we say, great, you know, you're done your treatment. Now go love yourself and, you know, live your best life. Because it was early and we caught it. Yes. And, and, and it's so, um,
0: it's unrealistic,
1: right. And it's, and it's an unrealistic goal. And so the, the, the road back to intimacy really starts with, um, with self discovery, you know, and, and like I said, there's, there's no way to it, but through it. And so you've got to spend some time figuring out who you are, what you like, what intimacy looks like for you, you know, and, and where do you like to be touched? Because how can you help a partner understand Mm -hmm. in the, in the time when passion is supposed to happen and that things are supposed to be organic. Right. Exactly. Things are supposed to be organic at this point, but mm-hmm. you're still figuring out, well, it itches here. I don't have sensation here. I don't like it when the, this hurts, right. you know, exactly. and so figuring out where the sore spots, where the tender spots, but also where the sensitive spots are, mm-hmm. where the sensual places are, mm-hmm. is something that a, a woman and, or a man has to do for themselves. Right. You know, and, and separating and uncoupling all that shame from it too because there's a lot of shame around our bodies. Mm-hmm. We don't like to talk about it, we wanna look at the scars, we don't wanna we don't wanna think about it, but then we wanna have an orgasm.
0: Right.
1: It just doesn't happen.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love this idea of kind of self discovery. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I feel like even after a diagnosis, after your surgery, when you are getting comfortable with your your new body,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, I know my for myself, I gained a lot of weight when I was going through chemotherapy. Right. So I'm going through construct, um, you know, I had a double lumpectomy. I don't know if that's the correct term. Sure. Just, sure. Um a lumpectomy on both sides. Yep. There was reconstruction with the tissue that I already
1: had. Yes.
0: Then I was on chemotherapy with a lot of steroids and drugs. Mm-hmm. Now I'm on hormonal therapies that push me into, like, medical right. menopause. And right. I'm like, you know, on the outside, I'm fantastic. Mm-hmm. On the inside, I'm, like, 85 years old. Yes. And I need to, you know, learn to love this new body that mm-hmm. I don't want to get osteoporosis, so I'm fighting that. Sure. I, you know, being in menopause, your right. body is producing fat like it's your job like it's Um. going out of
1: style right like you are storing food for the winter right winter is coming and your body knows it and it's like no winter's here and there's no no number of live strong programs and and you know Zumba classes you can go to that seems to kind of slow it so I think a couple things you know um, one I think physicians and healthcare providers and health systems have to set patients up for a better more realistic expectation so that you can understand that after surgery, here, is, here are things that you could experience and here's how it might affect not just your, um, your physical being, but also your sexual being. Yes. Your, your self-esteem, your intimacy. How, how are these scars going to feel? How do they heal? Where, where might you expect pain and for how long? Mm. Same thing through radiation. You know, radiation is not just, great, we're going to zap those residual cells, you know, and it's, it's not that. It's, well, after radiation, you may have some skin sensitivity. You may have some, some burning. You may have some zingers and some numbness and tingling and all these yeah. sorts of weird things so that you could begin to understand, one, that it's normal and natural. Because that just sheds a whole layer of shame and fear and all these oh, sorts of questions that you have. So you can say, oh, this is normal. Well, how long should I expect this? What are things that I can do? How can I be empowered? Is there, you know, is there great arnica cream that I could use? Is there something else, some, you know, frankincense and yes. other essential oils that I can rub that will help some of those side effects? And the answer is yes. Um, I think letting patients know, even through chemotherapy, that you know intimacy can be possible, but there, there are maybe times when it might feel more comfortable to do so, and times when it's natural to not want to do so. So that there is, you've uncoupled the person who's undergoing treatment from the shame and the stigma with the partner too, yes. because the partner's very much left out of the equation. You can sit there and support somebody while they're getting an infusion. You, know, you can deal with them when they're nauseous or they have diarrhea afterwards. Right. But understanding you know, where where the coupledom is and the the vulnerability of of that and and where are the times when it might be okay to just you know what let me just rub let me rub your shoulders and let's let's connect through touch let me rub your feet Mm -hmm. or if you're feeling good why don't you rub his or her shoulders
2: Mm -hmm. you
1: know and say you know what I still value you as a partner I'm so glad I can I get to lay beside you yes you know and have somebody to put my arm put their arms around me even though I don't feel like having sex right now Mm -hmm. you know and so redefining the goals of intimacy is a way that keeps you in that vulnerable sort of safe space and so i would i would say to patients who are undergoing therapy you know the orgasms are not the goal not the chief goal of intimacy and that pleasure is a right Mm -hmm. pleasure is it's radical it is something that we should be demanding of ourselves and our lives and you know we're we're here not to just have optional feel-good moments as we go through the perfunctory, uh, you know, yes. m- movements of our lives, even through our cancer journey and everything else, because if cancer teaches you nothing else, it teaches you all the ways that you need to put yourself first, and pleasure should be pretty close to the top of the list, and unfortunately, it's usually at the bottom, you right, know. because you're
0: living every day just trying to survive, trying mm-hmm. to get through the treatment, yep. and like just checking the box, and yep. then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. once you're done with your final active treatment... Yeah. You just expect everything to pop back into normal. Yeah, so and nobody
1: tells you that normal is totally different, normal. you know, and, and that it's, it's okay. And so I think that um, setting reasonable expectations, but also giving ourselves a bit of grace and saying, you know what, during this phase of treatment, here are things that you can do to make yourself feel better. You know, here's a great bath bomb. You know, maybe there's mm-hmm. a, a CBD bath bomb, for example. Those are wonderful yeah. for some of uh, my friends who have um, ovarian cancer and, 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 and even with breast cancer, but who have chronic pain. You know, just sit in a tub and light a candle and feel like you again, feel sexy. And that's the goal. You know, the goal is is redefining pleasure so that whatever brings you joy, whatever brings that spark, whatever makes you feel like you Mm -hmm. is now the radical thing that you do to reclaim your pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, exercise is a key component of that for for many of us because when our bodies are not moving, we feel achy, we feel stiff, we feel stagnant, we feel tired, we don't feel like our best selves. And so I talk to my patients all the time that the goal of exercise is not for weight loss. Weight loss is a secondary goal that is a a necessary one because we know that, that fat cells convert, you know, foods that we eat and alcohol that we drink into estrogen, and estrogen makes things grow. It's a stimulus for cancer. It's you know, but the the goal of exercise is to feel better in your body, is to connect with your body, is to get the blood flowing and get the endorphins going, and it's to take a bit of time so that when it's time to be intimate. We're not saying, oh, my back, wait, oh, I haven't moved my neck in this way in so long. Now I can't even feel good in my own skin mm-hmm. in order to connect enough with a partner. Right. Because that's often what happens. We want to connect, and that connection, we want it to be instant. And it's not because we haven't done the things to get ourselves ready for that connection, and it isn't an instantaneous one anymore. It has to be a very deliberate one. Yes. You know, and so to, to that point, even setting realistic expectations with our partners. And so I I talk a lot about one, touch, but two, maybe the goal, you know, is we, maybe we only have a date night every three months because we got kids and we're taking care of elderly parents and we've got busy schedules and people are traveling or we're undergoing therapy, but we keep our date night, Mm -hmm. we keep our time together and we set a goal that, you know, maybe our goal is just, we're going to touch. We're going to rub and we're going to feel good and nobody's going to, and if someone hurts, we're going to have a safe way to say, you know, that doesn't feel as great, but this does when you do this and we redirect gently and lovingly so that nobody feels left out, shut out. And the expectation is not to achieve, let's say arousal or not to achieve an orgasm. It's just to feel good and not feel pain, not feel guilt, not feel shame. And then the next date night looks like maybe we'll just kiss. Right. And we'll just see if we even can get aroused. Mm-hmm. Or we can kiss without feeling guilt, without feeling shame, without feeling pain, without covering something up. And if we can do that for 10 minutes, boy, that's a success. Like, that's yeah. a win. 10 minutes is a long time.
2: Absolutely. You know, go
1: sit in the car and make out like, you know, like teenagers <laughs> exactly. again. And, and And feel good about that. And, mm-hmm. and, and having those, those sorts of slow incremental gains, I think, are things that build our sexual confidence, you know, that make us feel better about our bodies and our intimacy. Because generally from there, if things are feeling pretty okay... You may progress to more, but the expectation to progress to more is not there, and that's where the anxiety lies. It's when we expect that I should be pleasing my partner, my partner should be pleasing me, and then there's all these barriers and, and places we haven't gone. Right, and
0: spirals out of control pretty quickly.
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, William and I, um, frankly, actually, the restaurant we went to, Capo Restaurant yes, in Boston. Yes, I love it. Mm-hmm. So that became our date night locale, and this was one of the places where, when I first got diagnosed, I was so nervous. That you know, going out on dates was a big part of our relationship. Mm-hmm. And how am I going to go now to this restaurant in public, losing all of my hair, yep. going through surgery, yep. walking around with drains for four weeks? Yep. Like, how do we deal with all of this? Yes. And we li- literally brought in the restaurant crew. I'm like, you're part of the family now. Like, you are going to know every week what we're going through. Yep. You're going to see me bald. I remember coming in. Mm-hmm. I got the little short pixie cut before I lost my yep. hair. They're like, oh, I love your haircut. And I'm like, well, let me tell you why this is like this. Yes. And so, you know, they were there that's where we went the night before my surgery yeah. it was a celebratory dinner to say I love that." You know, cheers to everyone who's helping us get through this and, and you so know
1: what the key is to so what you just said the linchpin to all of it it's being vulnerable
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: being able to be vulnerable enough to because vulnerable means intimacy it means honesty it means candor it means license to feel what you feel and express those things mm-hmm. it means that this is a safe space you know, and I'm creating this. I'm giving myself a space to do this. And to say to a group of strangers at a restaurant, listen, I'm dealing with breast cancer. Can you guys help me out? Right. And you know what the natural human response is? What can we do? You know, if they had instruments, I'm sure they would have played them. They probably sang sure. opera and played good music. <laughs> they cooked the best meal you've probably ever eaten the night before your surgery. Absolutely. Because they wanted to make sure that you knew you were loved. Right. And you gave them that. That's a gift.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, and you think, oh, I'm the person, I'm the, I'm the patient. I'm the... No, you gave them a gift
0: opportunity to serve and And
1: to use the thing that they do every day that they don't think really matters as they go through their perfunctory lives serving food and holding trays and trying to keep it all together while they're worried about what happens when their kids get off and they're worried about all their lives you gave them a chance to care about something and to do what they do in a really intentional way to make somebody feel good Mm -hmm. and reconnect with what they do in that way because they maybe don't think about their lives that way, you know, just like as a surgeon. I, I go through my days and I, I recognize the significance of what I do sometimes, but it's a gift that patients give to me too, because I get to use the thing that I do to help people feel better and live better lives and get rid of cancer. And it's not just me doing a service and doing, you know, a, a technical service for a patient all day long, but, but you give me a gift
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and how great for me to be in a vulnerable space and say, you know what? Thank you for the gift of trusting me with your life and with your body at a time that's probably the most significant of your life.
2: Right.
1: You know, well, you've given me a gift and it's a chance to do what I do for good. Yes. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that, you know, so that, that vulnerability is such a key to intimacy. Mm-hmm. Number one key.
0: I love how you just described all of that too, because I think sometimes being, wearing the patient hat, we assume that these oncologists, this is the job, it's a very rewarding job, but day in and day out you're working with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. But just as you mentioned, this is one of the biggest days of our lives, and for us it's the first time.
1: Yes.
0: So being able to have that vulnerability Mm -hmm. and empathy for knowing what your patients are going through is amazing, so thank you very much for sharing that.
1: I try to keep that in mind, you know, whether yes. it's the first day or whether it's the first patient of the day or the 25th patient of the day or the, or the 35th patient of the day. Yeah. You know, I may have said the same thing in 10 different rooms, but for you, it's all brand new. Mm-hmm. And I don't get to shortchange it. I don't get to shortcut it. I don't get to leave early and have my hand on the door. I have to make sure that just like I did for the very first patient, the very last patient gets yeah. that time and gets those questions answered because it's a trust yeah. relationship and, and you're trusting me with it and, and that's something, it's a gift, I don't take oh, it lightly. Yeah. So well,
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, what yeah. an honor. So at what point, if you don't mind me asking, do you get to interact with a patient? I know mm-hmm. every hospital and institution kind of manages that oncological team differently whether they're sure. seeing their oncologist or the radiologist or their surgeon first. Can you tell me a little bit about your practice and at what point you mm-hmm. get
1: involved? Sure, so in my practice, patients come to see me from the minute that they uh, know that they have an abnormal mammogram and they need a biopsy. Oh, they will okay. either come to see me, my nurse practitioner, uh, one of the other surgeons in my practice, and we're the, we're the people who help to coordinate their care through the biopsy. Because after the biopsy, depending upon the outcome, maybe you don't need a surgeon, per se, but maybe you need some additional guidance and information regarding how long you should be screened for this thing. Maybe you need six-month follow-up pictures. Well, what doctor's ordering that? Who's going to go over it with you? And so we become kind of the coordinators of care, and I love that model Mm -hmm. because it sets you up for understanding the tone of the person who may be operating on you. Yes. Uh, versus seeing an oncologist, a uh, medical oncologist first. So I'm a surgical oncologist, you know, or seeing a radiation oncologist or even a gynecologist. I think the relationship with the gynecologist is a huge one. And so from that perspective, seeing a gynecologist first because of that ongoing trust relationship, this is a doctor you have known. It's someone who's done your exams. It's somebody who may have found that lump. And so it's, I think that that's a good starting point. But starting with the surgeon gives you a chance to see what a surgeon will do and say before they operate and it sets the tone for that surgical relationship. And so um, I will see patients, I will give them that diagnosis, and I let them know what to expect from the minute that they come to see me. We go over the imaging. Mm. Here's a mammogram, here's your ultrasound, here's what I'm thinking, here's what these things could be, and if it's this, then this is our plan. If it's that, then this is our plan, and if it's this, then we'll talk about that. And so we feel sort of, you know, I, I like for patients to leave feeling partnered with, and like they know what to expect next. Someone has walked them through what a biopsy is. And what to expect so they get to the biopsy and they come back and they say you know what that it wasn't the most comfortable thing but at least I knew what to expect you told me how it was going to be and it was just like that Yes. and they get their diagnosis and they come back with their family member and their questions Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: we talk about those things and we prepare them for surgery here's what to expect during surgery here's what to expect after surgery here's what to expect if you're the family member in the waiting room here's how you might feel and here's some questions you might have and here's the answers I won't have but here's the answers I will and then surgery happens, and it's a day like everybody said, okay,
0: this is kind of like what we thought. Right. And it you makes, them. You set those expectations.
1: makes them feel at ease. Here's what to expect after surgery. If you're staying in the hospital overnight, if you have drains, if you're going home, if, if there's a nurse coming to your house, here's what she's going to ask you, you know, and, and setting up those expectations. So I, I think I love that part of it yes. almost mm-hmm. as much as the surgery part because it, it, it helps to just round out what I do, and it makes it um, – Uh, You know, my my role is not just a technical one, but it it, it really is as as much as possible to help lead that team and guide. I'm an usher. I guide patients through this process. And Mm -hmm. so I will then see my my patients every six months for the first five years. Wow. And I'm clearly not operating on them every six months. So guess what we talk about? Okay. Quality of life. We talk about how are you doing Mm -hmm. after radiation? You know, how are we doing with fatigue and what are you doing to, to combat your fatigue? We talk about how are we doing during chemo and why you don't lose weight during chemo like everybody thought. You thought you were going to lose weight, and this is not the chemo where you lose weight. This is the chemo where you gain weight. Yes, yeah, so so, they didn't tell
0: me that at the beginning.
1: Right. Nobody told you that. <laughs> but you know what? Yes. This is and I tell patients that be careful what you eat. Mm-hmm. Because if all you're you know, and it's, it's not even that all you're eating is, let's say, milkshakes. If a milkshake makes you feel like you again, then have a milkshake. Mm-hmm. But what are some foods and some ways that we can detox from some of the toxic side effects of chemo? Exactly. You know, we can have our chemotherapy, but what are we doing? What are we putting in our Vitamix and our juicers and our blenders? How are we dealing with our neuropathy? And are there things that we can do? Is there a tea that we can make? Are there foods that we can eat? You know, the antioxidants that we eat are the Pac-Mans that chomp away at cellular damage. And you get them more from your food than from a vitamin and from a pill. So what are those foods? How often should we eat them? So we talk about these things That's wonderful. As, a, as a surgeon. I think it's, it's, my, it's a moral imperative for me because I do a patient no service to remove a tumor and not address all the rest of the patient and the things that impact their survival and their quality of life.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, mind so and body, holistic, is, it's like connected. Yeah, the whole
1: person. Indelibly connected. You know, yeah. and being an osteopathic physician, it's, it's part of how I train. It's built in. It's not an afterthought like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, the surgery is separate from the medicine, from the psychology, from the, you know, all of it's connected. And if your mind and if your spirit are not right, then healing in your body doesn't really take place. Right. Even though cancer has gone, are you healed? Are you whole? Mm-hmm. Are you healthy? No. Right. If I don't talk to you about smoking, if we don't talk about the things that will kill you faster than breast cancer, like stress, Right. Right. Then I'm not doing you any service by having removed your tumor. I've just removed a tumor, but we haven't removed the thing that's keeping you from living a, a productive life and having a healthy whole life. Mm-hmm. And so I, the, the, the focus is on, on wholeness and on wellness, even if you have metastatic disease. Can you be well? Can you be whole? Can you be healthy with metastatic disease? The answer is yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And to the best that you can. To the best that any of us can you know, and, and what does that look like for patients? And so mm-hmm. I think that that relationship for me is really, um, it's, it's important. And so I think I answered your question, like, yes. what does mm-hmm. my practice look like? And how, how often do I see patients? But that's the why of it, yes. you know, and I think I wish more doctors would tap into that, mm-hmm. because they would find they have more rewarding careers, too, and, and a lot less burnout.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's, it's a hard job, that's for sure. And to be able to find the joy in what you're doing is really inspiring. So mm-hmm. I know our listeners are you're gonna get a million phone calls. I think everyone was oh gonna want you to be a like surgeon.
1: <laughs> oh, that's yeah. awesome. No, I'm, yeah. I'm so grateful to, to have the chance to talk yes. about these things.
0: And during that consultation um, that you have with the patient, how do you talk about all of the various surgical options that are available?
1: Um, so we, we talk, I, I, I like to speak to patients in really simple terms, and then we can sort of elevate the conversation as they're able to understand, because most times you're just trying to wrap your head around your diagnosis. Is it cancer or not? And then someone says all these words like ductal and lobular and, you Mm -hmm. know, papillary and whatever else. And you're like, okay. And then somebody throws in a grade and you're like, what's a grade? And then they throw in these receptors and what's a hormone receptor? Mm -hmm. And so I have a really simple way of explaining to patients. I'll draw diagrams and we'll talk about what the normal cells look like. So I'll give you an example. A paper towel roll. You know, a breast duct is a tube. It's an empty hollow tube that carries the milk. Mm. And it's lined with a layer of cells like bubble wrap. Right. So now you're thinking kid science project. I got a tube and I got bubble wrap. And then, you know, those cells become atypical instead of being nice, cute, little round bubble wrap. Now they're triangles and other weird shapes that mm. don't really make sense. And all of a sudden they fill up the whole roll and then the roll breaks open. Mm. That's invasive. That's why, because it broke out of the place where it started versus in situ being in the place where it started. A can of crescent rolls, Pilled crescent rolls. My, yes. fa- my patients <laughs> love this one. You know, when you pop the can and the dough pops out, it's invasive. Right. And so now they're like, OK, I get that. And the husband's like, "All right, I get that." And yeah, the, we're you know, all hungry. Everybody knows. Well, I ruined food for everybody. Let yes. me tell you. <laughs> but then we begin to talk about, you know, the grade. How fast is it growing, and what does that mean? And the stage. How do we stage breast cancer? And then, so from there, because I got to walk you through your pathology sheet. Because if you don't understand that when you leave, then I have I get an F for the day. Mm-hmm. Doctor Gary does not get a passing grade if the pre, if the patient leaves and doesn't understand what they have. So we go through that, and then I say there are two main ways that, as a surgeon, that I treat breast cancer. It's either removing the part of the breast that's affected, the lump, and then the rim of normal tissue around it, or removing the whole breast. Mm -hmm. And we talk about which one you need and why, what the survival benefit is of both, and you know, if if I'm doing a lumpectomy, the survival from a lumpectomy is the same as a mastectomy as long as I get the margin and we do radiation or x-rays to the breast tissue I'm leaving behind. And you get it. It makes sense. Like, oh, okay, yep, you're taking the lump. You're leaving breast tissue behind. Now you have to treat that breast tissue. Boom. And then we talk about what the goals are. We have to bring in genetic testing and whether or not there's a mutation in a gene that maybe means we have a higher risk of this happening again. Because if you knew it was a 60% chance it would happen again in your lifetime, you might make a different surgical decision. So I kind of let the patient guide the surgical options by finding out what their wishes are, but by partnering and saying, these are what I do. Mm-hmm. And here's one way we can do it. Here's another way we can do it. Take account your family history, taking into account your anxiety, your fear, taking into account your genetics and your hereditary, you know, your hereditary risks. Yes. And then we meet and we talk about those things. The other thing that I do that's really important, and I wish that more surgeons did, it's to take into account the cosmetic and the, um, the, the plastic surgery considerations for each patient. So great. Maybe you are ample and you have you know um, a very small tumor. Okay. But- are you able to exercise? Are you wearing two bras when you go to the gym and you go to run? You know, your 5K and you're, you know, you're you're taping your breasts because they're too big and they're pendulous and you're uncomfortable. Has anyone talked about a lift or a reduction?
2: Sure.
1: Sure. You know, just because you're 75 years old, you know, does that mean that you don't meet criteria now for, um, for for symmetry procedures because I have to take a larger lump out of this side? Why should your bra be uneven? Mm-hmm. why should you have to do that for the rest of your life when you could match and insurance could potentially cover it and it could all be done at the same time mm-hmm. did anybody talk to a patient about that and so I try to make sure that you know whether it's a, a young patient or, or an elderly or geriatric patient I've got some octogenarians who drive and wear lipstick and you yep. know they are living their best lives mm-hmm. and some of them have had lifts and reductions because it makes them feel whole And so I think that, you know, as we talk about surgery, not just the surgery that I do, but what are all the surgical options for you and making sure that you understand and feel partnered with?
0: I love that. Mm -hmm. And so taking the person's wishes into consideration, painting the whole picture so they have all of the options available to them, so that that way they can make their best choice.
1: What's going to make you feel as good and as whole as possible because you didn't didn't ask for this. You didn't cause this. But can we use it as an opportunity to to maybe turn some things around in your life, Mm -hmm. including how you look?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, when I was first presented with surgical options, it was almost like choose your own adventure, Mm -hmm. right? Like start at point A, Mm -hmm. do you want to go open this door or do you want to open that door? Right. And then at the same time, you're waiting for all of your genetic testing to come back. So that also plays a role in the type of surgery I was going to be eligible for. Right. I did neoadjuvant chemotherapy. So the goal was to shrink the tumor Absolutely. to see if I was eligible at that point for breast conserving surgery, which was exciting. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're trying all of these options that Again, it was kind of like this big squirgish board of like, you know. Could do this, could do that, might do this,
1: maybe do that. (laughs)
0: And it was constantly being tweaked like every single time. I think that was something that I was not expecting as Mm -hmm. like a type A person. I wanted a plan. I wanted to follow my plan. And I hear this a lot from our community members of how do you let go of that plan? It's not a perfect science. And I was okay on the plan and then the plan changed and now I'm a mess. And so I think. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I On the other a,
0: side of that too, right? I tell sure. people like you had to let it go and trust that relationship you have with your team mm-hmm. because they have your best interest. And because you're, they're changing your plan a time and time again, it's because things are progressing in a positive way. And there's. Like more available to you? Sure.
1: I think the days of the sort of prescriptive, me- the prescriptive medicine for cancer are gone mm-hmm. because medicine, uh, cancer medicine, oncology is so personalized, even down to the surgeries we do. If I do a nipple sparing, will I hide the scar? Will I put the, you know, I could, I could put it on this side of your area. Will I could put it under the arm, under the breast. There's so many options. And if you want to keep your breast, then my goal as a surgeon is to do everything I can to make that possible, make you feel as whole as possible walking out of that surgery. Mm-hmm. And so if that means we need to give some medicine up front to make that possible, then that's what we can do for you and the plan you know I had a a, a couple who came to see me um, recently and it's been a very difficult cancer journey for them and the plan has continually changed and shifted and morphed and her husband was so frustrated and he said listen you you, we thought it was this you said it was this and now it's this and now it's that and you know I, I wish that patients knew that in the era of personalized medicine the days of this is the surgery you get this is the radiation you get this is the chemo or the not chemo or the pill or whatever else you get the days of that are are nearly over because the information constantly comes in and the changes are are ongoing and the plan can shift based upon the margins. Do I need to go back and take a little bit more? You know, are you happy with how you look? Do I need to do a little fat grafting and maybe fill in that defect? Or do we do we need to change the plan because the chemotherapy maybe didn't work and now we need to talk about a different surgery? Did our genetic testing results make our risk that much higher? Or your own level of personal anxiety around this diagnosis and and ongoing surveillance. You know, do we need to maybe consider some different options for you?
0: are all great questions.
1: And and so helping patients to understand that it is is very much not a linear process, Mm -hmm. um, but that it's a a, a very personal one, uh, you know, individualized, I guess is a better word than personal, because of of course it's personal, but it is also very individualized. And as the information changes about your individual tumor and your biology and your genetics, the plan may change as well. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, being patient with that, but also that's why you got to trust your care team. you said something so important because if you don't trust your care team you're going to be like wait what's happening here you know and there's an art and there's a science of medicine but one thing that doctors can do we can do better is refer patients to the guidelines that we use so I'll give you an example you know the National Comprehensive Cancer Network nccn.org has the algorithms for how every cancer doctor treats a different cancer. If the patient has a tumor this size, if the receptors are this, if they're this, then that, then that. And what things should you order? You know, PET scans, et cetera. When is a PET scan not indicated? Because everybody wants to know that question. And we could spend, you know, a million dollars and a million years scanning you from head to toe for, for an early stage breast cancer and work up things that you may have never, you know, known that you've had. But because we see them, now we're obligated to do something about them. Mm -hmm. And so PET scans are not indicated in certain circumstances. But helping patients to know and to understand their journey, NCCN has a really great website for patients and also for physicians. It's a place where we go and we can look at the algorithm and see where our patient fits and also where our patient maybe doesn't fit. Because in the guidelines, there are all these little asterisks and footnotes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, personalized medicine happens in the margins. It's not in the mainstream. And so if you're in the margin, somebody should be looking for you there and should be trying to figure out what you need and partner with you there. Um, but that there is a roadmap, but it is a little bit circuitous. It's like Candyland. It's, not, it's like, yeah, shoots and ladders. It's, uh, it's, it's some other sort of roadmap that you know can take you for a loop sometimes. But mm-hmm. being patient and trusting your provider and making sure that that provider is transparent with you. Because as long as I'm telling you what I would do if, this was my, if I were sitting in that seat, if you were my sister, if you were my mother, if you were my aunt, what questions would I ask? I'd ask these questions. I've got these answers for you. What treatment options would I be considering? I can certainly tell you that as a, you know, as a person who's watched their family members, you know, struggle with cancer and, and some have lived with it and some have not, you know, and I, I can give the best advice and the highest advice I would give if mm-hmm. it were me.
2: Right.
1: And so when you find that doctor and you have that trust relationship, then you go on this journey together. Yes. You're not going on it by yourself. I totally. promise you you're not. Yeah. One of
0: the best advice, pieces of advice that I received was if your oncologist is not your best friend, you need a new oncologist. Oh, I love that. And I'm like absolutely because these are people you're talking to all the time. You're sharing your most intimate like desires yep. and questions and concerns mm-hmm. and they're there helping you cancer yep and so I was Mm -hmm. like absolutely like best friend all the way I
1: love it circling back you gotta ask about sex yes and they should be asking you and if they're not then you got to train your doctor a little bit Mm -hmm. because nobody teaches us how to have these uncomfortable conversations either we learn how to give a lot of uncomfortable news you know we learn how to deal with mortality and how to help patients hopefully be okay with that while we're trying to fight for survival you know there's prolonging death and then there's you know providing dignity Mm -hmm. and preserving life and so understanding that balance is a, is a nuanced thing that doctors learn years and years into their career. But having uncomfortable conversations about things like sex and intimacy,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, and it's not always just the male doctor and the female patient. I've got some male patients with breast cancer. And guess yes. what Dr. Gary's going to have to do?
2: Absolutely. I'm going to
1: have to have some really uncomfortable conversations with my male patients and try to make them feel at ease and make sure that I don't, I'm not remiss by not asking, mm-hmm. you know, how are things for you from this standpoint? Because it just wouldn't be fair. Just because I'm a woman doesn't mean that I can't talk to a man about these things. Asking the husbands and the partners, you know, and and the single people. I I can't tell you after this talk how many people who are single that came up to me and gave me a hug and said, thank you. Nobody ever talks about what it's like to be single with breast cancer. And how hard it is to even find someone to touch you and to figure out what your goals are in intimacy if you don't have an intimate partner. How do you even initiate that all over again? And what are the the stigmas associated with with self-satisfaction and self-pleasure? And the lady said, "You freed me today, you know." And I'm like that's my why. That's why I do what yes, I do. You know, yes. I love surgery, and surgery is a tool that I use to do this. But there's so much more that we contain multitudes. Yeah. There's so much more that we can offer a patient when we take the time and really get to know, you know, all the aspects of cancer care and 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 speak to those things. And so that's that's what I love about my job.
0: Yes. Oh, I could talk to you for
1: hours. I know. I know. <laughs> We're like old friends chatting here I too. Know. this is you amazing. Know. I mean,
0: I think just. Anyone who's listening to this right now is going to feel so empowered, inspired, knowing that they're going to feel good about their body. And now that they have the tools to actually have these conversations with their spouses, with their doctors, mm-hmm. I think you did just open up the door for so many people. So thank you. It's as
1: easy as just saying, hey, can we talk about this? Or, you know, not waiting until that very last second when the hand's on the doorknob and you say, oh, by the way, or could you send in the nurse because I want to, you know, I have a question. Mm-hmm. And it's to say to you, hey, listen, doc, you know, I've been doing some reading and, you know, or I, I listened to a web, a webcast, a, a podcast and I, 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 you know, I read something, I saw an article or, you know what, I've just been meaning to bring this up and I don't know how, it's really uncomfortable for me and I don't mean to make you uncomfortable either. you know, think, I'm having some dryness down there. Things are painful. Should I expect this? Is it okay to, is this what I should expect? Mm-hmm. And if this is what I should expect, then are, are there any, anybody you know that could help me to find ways to get over this? Are there any mm-hmm. things that you know? And so not always challenging someone's direct knowledge, but are there resources you have? Is there anybody else I can talk to? You know, and there's a saying that closed mouth doesn't get fed, right? And so, you know, we've got we to advocate for ourselves in that regard because pleasure is not an option. Your pleasure is a radical right. You know, it's a, ne- it's a necessity, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just a right and a privilege, it's a necessity. And it is a very radical one that we should uh, own it, embrace it and, 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 and look for it and expect it again. How wonderful would it be if you could expect to have good intimacy again after breast cancer? Like there's something to look forward to there.
2: Absolutely. And it's
1: definitely a journey. And I'm not saying it's an easy one by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. But it takes us opening our mouths and being vulnerable, partnering, all the things. Like it pulls all of the life lessons. Mm-hmm. It pulls it all together into one box and wraps it up. Like yeah, here is so. your here's your biggest life lesson right here. And if you can manage those things, to your point about the stress and anxiety and the need to control everything, mm-hmm. it starts with knowing that you can't control everything but these are the areas where I can feel empowered. And it's about physicians and, and, and nurses and caregivers helping people to maximize the opportunities to feel empowered. You can't control this, but here's what you can do. Mm-hmm. This happened, and this is what the surgery, this is the surgery you need, and here's the pain that you might experience, or here's the, but here's what you can do. Yes. You might not feel like being intimate right now with your partner, but here's what your partner can do. Mm-hmm. Here's something that's going to feel really, really good. Here's a massager just for your feet and for your neck and for your back. You know, what if you massage the small of her back? Mm-hmm. What if, you know, touching the bottoms of feet? You know, maybe it doesn't feel good with neuropathy, but maybe there's a warm soak or something you can do. There's right. a, a soothing caress. And so mm-hmm. making sure that we feel empowered with our options helps to alleviate some of that need to control everything because you just can't. And yes. that's, that is the, the blessing and the curse of breast cancer is learning that you cannot control everything.
0: Right. So just, yeah, just... Yep. of your control and there's it is. nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So I've been meditating a lot <laughs> and telling myself even like, you know, how busy we can get in our own lives. Yeah. And I was like, Laura, you're bringing this on yourself. Like, take a deep breath. It's not that busy. You're making it busy in your mind mm-hmm. because you have to do this. You have to do this. You're going and going and going. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? And it was a mindset. Sure. Sure. And then I immediately was like, in control. I'm not busy. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we're all busy. Yeah, we like, are. Sure. You know, it's how I'm confronting the day to day. Sure. And it was like a light bulb.
1: Well, and you can get a little deeper than that, you know, and as physicians, we do it all the time. We're super busy because it takes away from the fact that our lives might not be as robust as we like. And that our relationships are struggling in that. You know what? I, I'm having a problem connecting with my kid and that, you know, I'm not eating the right foods. And mm-hmm. so I bury under busy because busy feels better than sitting with myself and my right. thoughts, even as that's a universal thing as a physician, as yes. a patient, as a doctor, as a, you know, as a sister, as, as, a, as an aunt, as a partner. Yes. Right. And so there's some layers to peel back there. But, uh, the, you know, the best thing that we can do uh, is, is to be loving with yourself,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and to lovingly do that and say, you know what, I'm doing this. This is my coping mechanism right now because I need to, I would like to see myself here. And it's not saying that I'm not doing, I'm, you know, you've got to get rid of the negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. But to say the person that I am, that I want to be, I see myself being more balanced. I see myself being, you know, having time for pleasure and Mm -hmm. redefining pleasure. I see myself making more time in my day for these things. And I'm not there right now. I'm starting to see why I'm not there right now. And Mm -hmm. it's really unpack that, but just be really loving with yourself and say, you know what, that's where I want to be. And if that's where I want to be, then that's where I'm going to get.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: But you got to be loving Mm -hmm. with yourself. Say sweet things. You know, sometimes I'll compliment my patients because no one else does and because they deflect the, the good compliments their spouse says oh you you know you look really nice today they're like yeah huh and they you know they'll say something uh, negative about themselves and I say you know what Dr. Gary said you got really nice legs mm. you do you got great legs and every time you walk by that mirror on your way out your door and you look at yourself and you you should say to yourself you know I got great legs or I've got a great smile and I said if you can't say it for yourself then you look at yourself in the mirror and say Dr. Gary said I have a nice smile
2: I love that.
1: until That's you funny. believe it yourself mm-hmm. and until you're able to say something good about yourself you know, we got to do that. Yeah. yeah. And it starts with us. We can do it. We can. We could so do this. Absolutely. And that's it's... what I
0: love about the podcast, too, because it's almost like going to confession. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just talking <laughs> and we're speaking to millions of listeners yeah. who tune in every single week for positivity, hope, mm-hmm. advice, empowerment, mm-hmm. encouragement, and love. And we're giving that it's super vulnerable
1: so, it is for, for for me as a speaker and for you as as, as, a, as a patient and yes. as an interviewer and as a caregiver and as an advocate and as a fighter for for you know for all these listeners i applaud you for what you're Thank doing you. because it's not an easy road it yes. is not. And it takes you on the road probably more than you'd like to be. And so you've got to remember to be loving and gentle with yourself Absolutely. and, you know, to carve out time with your spouse and, you know, make sure that you are, 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 are doing all the things yes. that, that we're talking about for, for others.
0: got to take care of ourselves We've got to do them for ourselves yes.
1: too. Yeah. So that's, and that's, that's my work in progress. You know, I'm uh-huh. telling my patients to exercise at home. And I say, if you can exercise during the commercials,
0: oh. just
1: during the commercials, you give me an hour TV a night, guess what? You've got in 25 minutes of exercise without leaving your couch that
0: is a great idea
1: it's super hard though because you know how hard it is to do arm (laughs) circles and i have tried this while watching american idol do arm circles do stretches do leg lifts i mean i've done it myself i'm out of breath like the first three minutes and this is so sad i'm like really gary really (laughs) and this is what you're telling patients to do but guess what If, if they can do it i can do it
2: absolutely
1: you know and i haven't made it through a single hour of tv yet by exercising for the full three three minute commercial break but i will yeah, eventually I, I will. That's right. And That's you know what? I'm, I, got some, I got accountability buddies. Yes. Every exam room I go, and I'm like, all right, what's our goal? I'm going to see you in six months. What are we working on? You're working on this. Guess what? I'm working on that. Yes. And they always ask me when they come back to see me, Doc, how you doing with, you know, with stress? You said your stress levels or your knees were aching and you needed to change your mm-hmm. shoes. And You know what I did? I got acupuncture. And now I'm able That's to talk nice. to my patients about acupuncture because I did it myself. And my knees feel better and I could wear my three-inch heels in clinic.
0: That amazing but
1: being vulnerable you know is just yeah, such a it's such a great lesson it is and, and being honest you started
0: the conversation up with like sharing your story because mm-hmm. it's that vulnerability you're putting yourself yep. out there but you're not the only one going through it
1: yep and, and it, I can't expect you to share yours if I can't share a piece of me yeah. because this is a journey that we go on together every single patient every cancer patient I deal with we're on that journey together
0: mm-hmm. Dr. Gary, thank you so much for like all of these words of wisdom. Oh, thank you for having like, me. Okay, we'll have to just do this again. It'll be like a follow-up because Let's I like think we're just scratching the surface. Okay. On you know positivity, self-image, sexual healing, mm-hmm. surgery options, and um, so some ideas for potential future topics. Okay. I would love to kind of take a deeper dive. I've spoken to some women who have gone through various infections mm-hmm. and then unfortunately now are no longer available to have certain types of reconstruction. We can talk about that, yeah. So we can definitely talk more of like some of those heavier topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself, for example, after going through a lumpectomy and radiation, yep. um, you know, the breasts do change. Yes. And so what options do we have to mm-hmm. say, okay, they started off good, but now they're changing s- size. Right. And I'm not sure I'm so comfortable with this anymore. Right. So what options do we have okay. as those who've been, you know, through lumpectomies? Yep. And also one of the burning questions that we get all the time also is the topic especially among young women about fertility okay so you mentioned earlier that those who've been diagnosed with breast cancer tend to see you first in Mm -hmm. your clinic and you kind of shepherd them through the entire piece so at what Mm -hmm. point does that conversation of fertility come up oh yeah yeah we'll talk about that okay great stay tuned but this was phenomenal and I want you to continue to enjoy the Living Beyond Breast Cancer Conference this night and I'm so come.
1: glad we got to connect.
0: You too. I'm so
1: glad you to too. see you. And I keep doing what you're doing. Let me know how I yes. can support you. For anyone who's listening, if you have questions, um, I you can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dr. Monique Gary on Instagram. Uh, I'm not that active yet, but I have a feeling after this conference I'm going to need to be. Absolutely. Um, I do have a website also, drmoniquegary.com, uh, where you can submit questions. I'm um, on the Grandview Health website, www.gvh.org. Um and you certainly can uh reach out to me there for consultations and, and to make appointments and um I'm I'm just happy to connect with all of you in, in whatever ways that I can because it's it's such a process and we cannot do it alone. You know. So I, I thank it's you stunning. for having me.
0: Sunny, I'm gonna cry. I love you. Thank I love you, you so too, much. I know. Oh, We're hugging oh, for those of you. We're hugging it out. Oh, right. Group hug. Group hug yeah. Hi, everyone. Group hug. <laughs> If this podcast was helpful, be sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a review so we know that you liked it. There are so many ways to join our community. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at survivingbreastcancer.org. Follow us on Instagram, survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, and on YouTube at bit.ly forward slash YouTube SBC, and on Twitter, SBC underscore ORG. If you have a topic idea or would like to be a guest on our show, please contact me at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. We love hearing from you. Please remember that the content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in our podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our workplaces. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Thanks. Until next time, talk to you then.